Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bladed Apples, a horror podcast. Dropping your trick or treat bag every week. Yeah, we're actually like, I think we're more on the ball with the remote. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot more time now because, like, well, that's true. Now that you're you're out, you don't really do anymore. anything. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, I'm Rocky. I'm Blaze. And this week. We're talking about a genre that we aren't a huge fan of. Well, I guess we not. Really genre. don't like it, but damn, this movie is good. <laughs> the, the the genre is psychological horror or psychological thriller, which we do love, but we aren't big anime fans. And we're talking about an anime movie this year, or this year, this episode. Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, we're talking about Perfect Blue, uh, which is one of the most famous anime films. I think one of the most influential anime films and you said you hadn't watched it before either right i've never I've, I've only heard i've heard a lot about it over the years but this is the first time i've ever watched perfect blue how about you it, dude that was the first time i ever watched it and i was like sitting there like at 3 a.m on one of my days off and Paige was asleep and i'm like i don't know what to fucking watch and then i turned on shutter i'm like an anime on shutter this is stupid i guess i'll watch it and then i watch it and i'm like holy fuck that might be one of my favorite movies yeah, I was I was surprised. Everybody was surprised because I was seeing a lot on Twitter. They're like, "Oh my god, they put Perfect Blue on Shutter!" Because I think this may be. Don't quote me on this. I don't know if it's true or not because no research on it. But I think that it may have been the first time this movie's been put on to a streaming service. Okay. In at least North America, I'm not sure. This movie is actually. I think it was relatively difficult to find unless you bought it. I'm not sure about that. I know it has a cult following. I know that Darren Aronofsky has referenced this movie a lot in his movies, which we'll talk about. Black Swan. Um, <laughs> huh? Black Swan. <laughs> well, I, I have a controversial opinion about that because everybody always compares this movie to Black Swan. But I don't think it's that much like Black Swan. No, I I, like I think it, it has some bare similarities. I think it has basic similarities to it, but I don't think like everyone's like, oh, it's just a rip off of Black Swan, just a rip off of Perfect Blue. I'm like, I, I I don't think it is, but and we have stuff to talk about about Darren Aronofsky, not related to Perfect Blue. So. Uh, we do, we do, and yeah, we got we got some news. We're gonna be going off the beaten path a little bit. Our news, I'm sure, because the movies that I watched this week um, are not horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I kind of want to talk about them, and there's been some festival news um, because it's September, so in theaters right now, for the most part, <clears throat> it's almost like second January right now, except for a couple films here and there. Um, one I'll bring up in a second, but um, there's a lot of dumping ground in September because all the film festivals are going on, so right. you have all these Academy Award films contenders. Academy Award contender films, rather, um, that are airing or premiering, rather, at the different film festivals. So there's news that's been coming out of there. But before all that, how you doing, buddy? How you been? I'm all right. Um, uh, we went to Universal this weekend, and uh, the main reason we went didn't end up happening. So. What was the main reason? The Mummy reopening. Was it shut down? When we got there, we waited in line for about half an hour, and then they were like, we're sorry, but the ride has been delayed till further notice. <laughs> so, Damn. Yeah, so for anybody who doesn't know, 
uh, anybody that doesn't know, that riot has been in, um, they shut down for at least, feels like almost a year, right? Yep. Um, to remodel and fix, I, I don't know all, all the renovations they did to it, but I think they fixed the track on it and they updated some of the graphics on certain parts of it. Yeah, they, uh, my fear was that they were going to be like, you know what, let's just make it about Tom Cruise's The Mummy. I'm like, oh, please, no. And uh, thankfully, it's Brendan. It's funny you say that, though, because have you have you ever wanted to saw the Universal Horror Makeup Show there? No. Uh, it's really fun, um, but it's great because and, – and now they've kind of worked jokes about it into the show now – but if you go to the Universal Horror Makeup Show, it's super awesome because they talk about all these different horror movies and like makeup effects and stuff like that. They have one of the um, they have one of the animatronics from American Werewolf in London as part of the show from the transformation scene. It's really cool. But um, I guess after 2017 or at 2017, they start integrating uh, the Mummy 2017 into that show where they're talking about like the makeup effects for it because they thought it was going to be a big success. And of course it wasn't at all. <laughs> and, um, and so now they still have to talk about it because it's like part of the script, <laughs> but they're just like, they just kind of make fun of it. There's always like, at least like one joke kind of like, fuck this movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was, I was worried that they were going to do. Yeah. I, there was a rumor. They're going to take Brennan Fraser out of the, uh, Infam or not infamous, uh, very popular end part of the Mummy Returns ride. Um, whenever he's just wants his fucking cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully uh, there appears to be more Brendan because now they have like uh, videos playing throughout the whole thing with interviews of Brendan Fraser. <laughs> so <laughs> just like an interview where I like, I don't know, if this fits in. <laughs> Which honestly. Well, I mean, it does because it's just him saying it's all bogus and there's no curse of the mummy, and like the rest of the cast is like, wait, we have all these, these uh, the the necklace of the Magi, and we all have to wear them because of all the accidents going on. He's like, that's stupid. I don't want to wear this. <laughs> I thought they already had that. They already had. They did. But I just yeah. haven't seen it played in a long time. Because because usually it's so easy to get through that line that you aren't usually standing there watching the the video. Now that that's been there. That but could yeah, be because uh, that, that's why that's why the ending was like not that. short for it. Yeah, that that's why that ending was like that. Why he gets attacked by the mummy yeah, and just exactly. wants a cup of coffee because he's just like, oh, it's all bullshit, and then he gets attacked. But um, yeah, I, I'm I was excited that it opened. Um, we're hopefully going to Halloween Horror Nights pretty soon. Yeah, together. We'll um, we'll to figure that out, and we'll be talking about that on the show. Um. So we'll figure all that out. But speaking of Brent Fraser, you have some Brent Fraser news. I know. Fucking Mr. Toronto International Film Award winner. Mm -hmm. And uh, boy, did you watch the videos of it? I did. Oh, man, that hurt my heart. Like Just seeing him like so emotional to be back at it. And uh, from what they're saying, this is like his best role ever like it is supposed to be really good and uh it's an a24 movie called the whale and uh, he's extremely proud of it they're really proud of it and uh from what they're saying like this movie is so good he's he might be up for the academy award yeah it's directed by somebody we'll be referencing later darren aronofsky yep and it's about 
he's an obese man that after his gay lover passed away, he basically after he left his wife and daughter. Yeah, he, yeah, he had, he had a, he was married previously, and uh, he left them to go in this relationship with this man. And um, after he passes away, he basically um, finds solace in food, and he becomes overweight, uh, six hundred pounds overweight, I think. Um, or become 600 pounds. Um, and then the movie's about him kind of reconciling this relationship with his daughter from his previous marriage. Uh, played the by girl Sweet, from uh, Stranger Things. Yeah, Sadie Sink, um, who plays Max in Stranger Things. Um, apparently, it's very, very good. Um, I love that Brent Fraser is coming back. We all love him. Come back. I mean, he's one of America's sweethearts. And also, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, this guy's went through a lot over the last decade or so. He went through multiple surgeries. He went through a very messy divorce. Um, he was also sexually assaulted or at well, least... that's kind of why he was blacklisted is he was yeah. sexually assaulted by somebody in the film industry. And he came out about it when he was a young kid. And, uh, well, he came out about it yeah, later yeah. on. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if he was a young kid. I think he was like an adult at that point, but he's saying that it was like whatever because it was around like, Encino, man. I think. Yeah, um, which sucks. It's awful. Um, but he's having a comeback, and you know, not only is he going to be in this movie, but he's also going to be in the new Mark Scorsese film, um, which is going to be We're awesome. All looking forward to more Brendan Fraser. In our yeah, movie. he's he's amazing. But here's the thing about film festivals: <laughs> that we bring this up, um, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> I hate when film festivals happen because they're like, oh, this movie's so good it had a 40-minute standing ovation. No, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> it had a 13-minute standing ovation. No, it didn't. It's probably people leaving. Everybody's like standing waiting to get all the aisles and stuff. But there's nobody that's going to stand and clap 23 minutes straight. That is complete fucking bullshit. Where did you get that time? Huh? That's what oh, you're saying in general. Yeah, just in general, like like you okay, watching. I know they said it was like six minutes, and they were doing it for David Aronofsky, and then he was like, "Hey, let's all give it up for Brendan Fraser," and then it went for like five minutes. Yeah, yeah, that that's believable. But they're always like all these other movies are like it got a twenty minute standing ovation. Like this, a Shape of Water came out, uh, it got a twenty six minute standing ovation. I'm like, have you seen Shape of Water? <laughs> so here comes next. <laughs> Is a, a movie that apparently is not getting a standing ovation. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, are, you, are we talking about the same one? Yeah, we're ta okay. I'm talking about the one you were. We were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, so, um, don't worry, darling. Um, is the new movie from Olivia Wilde? Um, That's who wild. <laughs> yeah, who's known as an actress beforehand. This is her second feature film. Her first film wasn't too bad of a coming-of-age uh, high school comedy called Booksmart, which is kind of like a female version of Superbad. Um, that was actually pretty good. And this is her follow-up to it. Uh, stars Florence Pugh and Harry Styles and um, Chris Pine and Olivia Wilde is in it as well. Nick Kroll, Kiki. Nick uh, Kroll, which, which I'll come to with Nick Kroll because I just fucking posted a video on Instagram. I don't know if you saw it. I but, did. Um, <laughs> it's not uh, us. It's not them. It's, yeah, it seems, like, it seems like it's a movie that um, I guess Florence Pugh is a character that's getting gaslit. Go figure. 
because <laughs> she seems to play that role a few times. I, I love Florence Pugh, though. Uh, I think she's awesome. But, I don't know um, about her. I, I just like all the roles she plays. I think she's a really good actress. I like her in Midsommar. I like her in Little Women. I like her in, you know, just everything she plays. I, I like her a lot. Um, but uh, it seems like it's almost like a, I don't know, stuff for wipes type of gaslighting thing where it feels like it's set in the 1950s and there's some type of weird conspiracy going on in this like suburban kind of area. I don't know. But um, the thing that's going to be most infamous about this movie isn't going to be the film itself, but everything surrounding the film behind the scenes because more and more news stories are coming out. And there's part of me that's like, oh, is this just so they can build up hype for the film? <laughs> but there's been things about, uh, I guess, Shia LaBeouf was supposed to play uh, Harry Styles' character originally, and he got fired from the film. Olivia Wilde was saying she fired him because she was afraid. I yeah, remember uh, people can't see air quotes on a podcast. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just doing it just as a gesture. But, yes, I, quote, unquote, uh, got fired from it. Um. And then Olivia Wilde came out. She said that she had fired him. Charlotte Buff said, no, I didn't get fired. I quit. And then she's like, no, that's bullshit. Then he, like, put out, like, these texts or something that showed that he actually had left the production. She's like, oh, no, I fired him because I was trying to protect Florence Pugh and Charlotte Buff as a piece of shit, which he is a fucking asshole and a piece of shit. But apparently he did leave, I guess. <clears throat> and then it seems like on the press tour and then promoting the movie, Florence Pugh hasn't been showing up for the film. Uh... And she won't look or go anywhere near Olivia Wilde. And I think it's because she's friends with Jason Sudeikis, who's Olivia Wilde's ex. Um, and he served her papers at an award ceremony like a year ago. Jason Sudeikis <laughs> was with her? Yeah, they have a kid together. Oh, my and God. He, he served her papers like while she was on stage at an award show. <laughs> what? Uh, why did you do that? Yeah, and Florence Pugh, I think, doesn't like her because of that and because she, I guess she may have left him to get with Harry Styles. And then um, this whole thing came out during the press tour where it looks like Harry Styles went to spit on Chris Pine. Yeah. And people were like, did he actually spit? Was that a publicity thing? I think it's a publicity thing, but I don't know. Um, and then honest, all these... I think Chris Pine would kick his ass. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I do too. But there's all these amazing memes coming out now of Chris Pine just like sitting like while they're talking about films and stuff like that. We're just like not thrilled to be there. And on top of that, the movie reviews are starting to come out from these film festivals and it has like a 40% and they're like, Harry Styles is awful in it. <laughs> and they're like, this movie's not very good. So The guy from Big Time Rush or One Direction or whatever he's around. <laughs> It's One Direction, right? I, think it's one I don't direction. give a fuck. <laughs> I don't yeah. care. I'm not a teenage girl. I have no idea. I mean, he seems he seems like a nice. He seems like a charming fellow. I've seen him like on different like talk shows. If he spits or, on Chris Pine. Like he ain't that charming. Yeah, yeah, because Chris Pine is is, a, is is one of our sweethearts in America. <laughs> Who doesn't like a little bit of Chris Pine, right? Yeah, I'm fine um, for it. Yeah, so that's been a lot of the news. But the best the best news that came out of don't worry, darling. Hands down is Nick Kroll. Yes, driving up to the premiere in the limo with um another one of the co-stars. And he's filming out the window of all the people that are lined up to see 
Harry Styles or Florence Pugh or Olivia Wilde. And then just to look at disappointment <laughs> in each of their faces or just like them looking in and be like, oh, whatever, it's just Nick Kroll. <laughs> and <laughs> be like, nope, like, oh, I'm not it's Nick Kroll. <laughs> Yeah, because Nick Kroll's hilarious. Nick Kroll's awesome. But um, yeah, uh, that that if you guys haven't seen that video, you can find it in his Instagram or his Facebook. Watch it; it's hilarious. Anything else about "Don't Worry, Darling"? I'm worried. <laughs> I I <laughs> I'm interested. I, I, I'm just. I, I feel like it's just one of these things where the movie's so bad that I feel like they're publishing a lot of stories just to kind of like make up for how mediocre that film is going to be that they're like maybe we can get like some traction with like all this like crazy shit that we're gonna kind that of or, that or they'll interview olivia wilde later on she'll be like oh of course it did go well look at all the shit that happened of course right yeah but i mean she's a good i mean book smart i wasn't as crazy about as most critics but it's it's a good comedy it's good i'm still kind of confused why jason sudeikis would give her papers at an award ceremony that's kind of fucked up I don't know, probably because he's fucking pissed if she did cheat on him with Harry Styles or like whatever. She's like, fuck this. Or she's like, I mean, who gives a fuck? Nobody listens to this podcast. So she has a deadbeat. <laughs> she has a deadbeat. Then, <laughs> then, then maybe just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to corner your ass. I'm going to give you fucking papers. <laughs> well, I mean, that's speculation, though. We don't know that for sure, right? No, no, absolutely not. This is all speculation. 100%. Um, Jason Sudeikis is just cruel. <laughs> have you seen Ted Lasso? No way anybody could play the character as a cruel human being. <laughs> it's one. It's one of uh, TV's or streaming at least uh, best feeling shows. <laughs> it makes you feel uh, good watching Ted Lasso. Probably why I don't watch it. <laughs> no, you're, like you're, yeah, you're miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch anything uh, other than the movie we're going to be talking about this week? Anything I watched new? that. I watched the last episode of the season for What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yeah. So did I. That's um, sad. That's sad. References one of my, if not my favorite musical, Fiddle on the Roof. So uh, it, it is sad, but it's hopeful, just like Fiddle on the Roof. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was nothing a- with that, right? I, I felt like I watched something else, but uh, now that I think about it and I can't remember it, it's like, I guess it wasn't that great. <laughs> um, I watched two movies. Um, so, D23 just happened. Uh, which is Disney's convention thing they oh, do, right, I guess. Right, right. I, I started Pinocchio and we couldn't get through it. Oh, I heard it's awful. You know what else is awful? Thor Love and Thunder, speaking of what we do in the shadows. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard good things. <laughs> yeah, which makes me sad because I love Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi is awesome, right? And um, He has not been killing it with those Thor movies, though. <laughs> well, Thor Ragnarok is good. Um, but Love and Thunder is just like, it is so fucking bad. It sucks because I love what we do in the shadows. I love Jojo Rabbit. I love Hunt for the Wilder People and Boy. I think as a director, he's and his humor I really like. Thor I think Ragnarok they good. just need to get him out of the. He does better with my my assumption is that now that he's under Disney's thumb with that kind of stuff, they're probably just micromanaging the shit out of his movies. It's like you know yeah. with 
Jojo Rabbit and shit like that, he kind of had his own reign, and everyone was like, well, it's Taiko Waititi, let him do Taiko Waititi, you know? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's with everything with those, like, Marvel movies or comic book films is that you have to, especially with Marvel films, that you have to go with the structure, right? There's a template for that. <laughs> Which most people can't really break out of unless you're, like, James Gunn. <laughs> but yeah. you give James Gunn a comic book property, whether it's the Guardians of the Galaxy films or Suicide Squad on the other side with uh, DC, and it still feels like a James Gunn film. And Ragnarok felt like a Taika Waititi film, but like Love and Thunder, you can see where he's there, but it just feels like it's so ramshackle and put together with like bubble yeah, gum. Disney Plus day. <laughs> that's why I brought up, that's why I referenced D23 is because it got put on there for that. Um, but also what came out D23, I know I sent you the trailer, I don't know if you watched it. Did you watch a trailer for Werewolf by Night? I did. You did send me the trailer. Looks fucking cool, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll it's, see. Uh, I don't know, man. I've been so disassociated with Marvel shit. Like, well, yeah. yeah, but we, we both like Werewolf by Night. We like those horror characters in those Marvel comics and stuff. But um, What about I... that sick Morbius movie? Yeah, but that's what I'm <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> um... But yeah, it looks like the trailer's really cool. If you guys watch it, it looks almost it's all in black and white. The trailer is at least, and they kind of present it almost like it's going to be like a universal monster film. But it, it's like it's their Halloween special. I think it comes October seventh. It looks pretty cool. I think it looks fun, especially with just kind of like a one-off little yeah. MCU thing. That's pretty sweet. Um, the other movie I watched uh, is Elvis. <laughs> Did you? Okay, because I know Paige has been wanting to see that. So, you want the good news or the bad news first? Well, I know who it's directed by, so I assume that's part of the bad news. <laughs> no, it's actually part of the good news. Because on a scale of Baz Luhrmann... <laughs> on a scale of Baz Luhrmann, it's his best film. Because <laughs> I don't like Baz Luhrmann. Um, I don't like his movies. I hate how he... Cuts his films. I hate how they're edited. I feel like they're a hodgepodge of bullshit. <laughs> um, that's a lot of style and no substance and kind of hard to even like get into because it's just flashes of color and cuts or whatever. Um, I know everybody goes crazy over Moulin Rouge. Um, hate it. <laughs> I, I I think that probably with it being a Broadway play now probably works better in that format. But as far as him directing it. No. Even though I will say that uh, Ewan McGregor sells that film at the end. You know, he's great. I mean, it's Ewan McGregor. He's great. Um, Romeo plus Juliet. really good in it, too. I just don't care for the movie. Yeah, Nicole Kidman is great in it. Fucking, yeah. I mean, they're good. It's just, I, they, they're doing the best. John Lake with Zamo. Yeah, like with Lil Zamo. Like with Lasagna. Like with Lasagna. Yeah, Romeo plus Juliet. Fuck it. Great Gatsby. Fuck it. <laughs> You know, like, none of that shit. But Elvis is good. Like, it's good. Um, I think that it's coherent enough. I see what he's going for. I see that he's going with somebody like Austin Butler that he hired for the role of Elvis. Even though he doesn't look like Elvis, I, I get... There's, okay, I'm with two minds about this film, okay? If I look at it this way, which other critics put out, I understand it, where they're like, you get somebody like Austin Butler that looks more like a like a Harry Styles, right? He looks more like a modern pop star. He doesn't look that much like Elvis, so it kind of translates to a younger generation. 
where it's like, oh, this is what Elvis was to that generation, you know, right. <laughs> 70 years ago, 60 years ago, right? Elvis was the Harry Styles of the 50s. <laughs> yeah, so you have somebody that looks like a young, handsome, you know, pretty boy pop star, right? Okay, I get it. Here's where I don't get it. And I'm in the very, 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 very small minority that has this opinion, I think, because everything I look at, Letterbox or Rotten Tomatoes or anything, is that Austin Butler has been getting critical acclaim playing Elvis. And I don't buy him as Elvis in the whole fucking movie. Every time they show him, he looks like Alfred E. Newman to me. <laughs> he looks like Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine. <laughs> It would be, uh, like, uh, I'm just imagining, like, a really bad portrayal of Richard Nixon. They're like, how do we make Richard Nixon more relatable to this young audience? They're like, let's make Richard Nixon black and we'll call him O'Nixon. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Listen, Austin Butler's doing the best with his material. He sounds a lot like um. There's some parts in it where he's got the movements down all day. It just, I just, just looked right. I didn't buy him as fucking Elvis. I don't know what to tell you guys. I'm sorry. I, I, I was. I'm not as big of him as Elvis as everybody else. Make mine Kurt Russell. I still think Kurt Russell did the best Elvis rendition back in that John Carpenter TV movie. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not crazy about it. If I want to read Mad Magazine, I would. There you go. There you go. Other than that, though, on a scale of Baz Luhrmann, it's probably the best film he's done. Um, but we're also talking about a movie that, oh, Elvis is going down to Bell Street to go hell. And also this movie's like, look how much Elvis liked black people. <laughs> because, you know, there's always the things where it's like, oh, Elvis stole, like, Elvis stole music from, like, blues musicians and everything. Baz Luhrmann will make you, sh make sure that everybody knows. <laughs> That, that Elvis was down, okay? They were like, please, Elvis, please steal our song. He goes down to Bell Street at one point in this movie. I swear to God, this is the actual scene. He goes to Bell Street, and there's all kinds of people. They're like, oh, my God, it's Elvis. And he gets Elvis' card to the music of Doja Cat. Ew. <laughs> that is a literal scene in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. There's a part where they're showing the different assassinations that are going around the 60s. And when Martin Luther King gets killed, Elvis is watching on TV. And make sure you hear his comments about it. We have to know that he did not, he didn't steal any music from anybody. <laughs> Elvis did not condone the killing of Martin Luther King. <laughs> if, anybody, if anybody was wondering, Elvis was uh, invited to the barbecue. Yeah, it's funny. I actually know uh, very shitty people who wouldn't condone that either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, there's just some things that happen like that that really pop up in your head. They they, they try to mix. It's Baz Luhrmann, so it's like, oh, well, just like I said with them casting by like Austin Butler, we're going to get a younger actor. It translates to a younger generation. Um, they put in like modern like hip-hop and r&b songs are mixed in with elvis songs so it's like yeah. this is what this music was like back then and all of that and uh yeah so it's kind of i, I don't know i don't know it's baz Luhrmann. all right <laughs> um <laughs> uh i don't think there was anything else i, I really 
watch. I want to see. I was going to try to see it earlier, but I didn't um, today before we record. I'll probably see it tomorrow or before the next episode. But I want to see Barbarian. I want to see Barbarian. Yeah, Justin uh, Justin Long's most recent work. Yeah, he's in it. Um, Bill Starsgard. Bill Starsgard and um, I don't know the lady's name. But surprised by who the director is. So, I mean, it looks pretty decent. And I mean, it's good to see Bill Skarsgård out of makeup. He's a good actor. I mean, I think he's a better actor than his brother. I mean, he's not I as good of an actor as his dad, but... No, well, I mean, let's be real. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's... it's uh... You're up there in the Skarsgårds. Skarsgård! <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, that's something I want to see. It's got ninety some percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I know nothing about it. Everybody tells me don't look up anything about the fucking film. Go in blind. And I feel like the trailer doesn't show a lot, anyways. So no, I'm very curious. Going down to the basement, hearing lamentations. Yeah, it seems like it's one of the biggest surprises of the year. Yeah. As far as like, oh my god, nobody knew this movie was gonna be this good. So, Barbarian. I'll see it before next episode. I probably won't, but I want to. <laughs> I'll just I'll spoil it on here for everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's but it's directed by one of the one of the whitest kids you know. Really? Yeah, it's directed by uh, what the blonde here. Um, oh, really? Him? Yeah. He's yeah. Blonde. This is his directorial solo debut because he co-directed and co-starred in Miss March. Never watched. Little, and you ever saw Miss March? Fucking Craig Robinson as HorseDick.mpeg. He's a rapper named HorseDick.mpeg in the movie. Nope, never seen it. <laughs> it's a pretty funny film. It's just a really long, wise kid you know skit. Uh, but he directed this movie, so I want to see if it's like a get out kind of thing where it's like, hey, this guy that's known for comedy has went and made a really, really good, like, horror black comedy. Like, it's a dark yeah. comedy horror film. It's really good, so. We'll see. Yeah. Um, trying to think of what else happened this week. Started our new D&D campaign that is horror-based. <laughs> it, nice. uh, it is the module House of Lament, which is pretty much a haunted house investigation kind of thing. Fun. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be good. Um, got Cameron and Dev on there, which is cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Miss them. Yeah. And... Um, we're about, uh, God, they're saying we're really close to finishing Curse of Strahd. So maybe I'll do a little segment about the horror campaigns in D&D. <laughs> well, if we could get any less viewers. If we could. I'll find a way. <laughs> this is my review on this new board game. <laughs> Battleship 2 sucks. <laughs> Here's our most recent game of Clue. But, uh, yeah, that's... Okay, that's all my news. <laughs> yeah, that's all, that's all I got. There's a couple of weeks back, I forgot to mention that I watched that vampire movie that came on Netflix, but I just never brought it up again. The yeah. one with Jamie Foxx and, and Snoop Dogg, Day Shift. Oh, I'm good. Not, not, as, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Okay, well, at least... Don't the... forget to bring it up. There it is. I did a double feature of that, and... and uh, vampires versus the Bronx. Both are fine. 
That's okay. a pretty good double feature if you want to get a West Coast vampire fill and a East Coast vampire fill. Uh, I think we already have West Coast covered with vampires. <laughs> oh, yeah. However, <laughs> or wait, is that East Coast? No, it's East Coast. Is it? I thought it was like, is it, is it Midwest? Isn't it Chicago? We reviewed this on the show. We talked about this movie. Neither of us can remember anything about it. It was pretty bad. <laughs> One of the worst things we talked about on this show, easily. We didn't have a full episode on it, though. We just talked about it in the beginning because we were like, no, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't even, we didn't even do it as a main topic. That's right. Uh, well, anyways, uh, I guess it brings us to our main topic this week. It sure does. All right. Trailer time? Trailer. Uh, actually, I think all the trailers are in Japanese. Good. Play it. <laughs> okay. Trailer time! Excuse me, who are you? Excuse me, who are you? Mima was a pop star. This is Mima's last performance with Cham. Who desired to become an actress. I really hope that I can entertain you just the same as an actress. But sometimes, aspirations can be deadly. I'm always watching Mima's room! In the world of make-believe. This is when Mima proves herself. The price of fame. Don't worry, Mima, it'll be all right. May not be worth the cost of identity. <laughs> Where did this come from? How do they know so much? Innocence is lost. <gasps> Dreams become nightmares. And privacy no longer exists. Where everything you do can be seen by everyone. And those you trust are really those you should fear. Your life no longer belongs to you. Excuse me, Manga Entertainment me, presents... Satoshi Khan's animated psychological thriller, Perfect Blue. Excuse me, who are you? Excuse me, who are you? All right. Perfect Blue, 1997. It's an anime. And we <laughs> it is an anime. We are, we are, yeah, we, and we actually liked it. <laughs> we are not, um, me and Blaze are not uh, general anime fans. Um, I think, we I think do that not we strive for waifus. <laughs> well, I think, yes, we, we aren't like a Wolverine. We are not weeboos. <laughs> Clearly, uh, old Logan is, but we aren't. Um, but I think that as just general fans of like media or whatever that we go with the same thing that anybody says that aren't anime fans but they're like oh except for like the films of Miyazaki or like Cowboy Bebop or like something like that right there's always like I don't like anime but I like these like more mature kind of things or like more like really really good like films of like yeah. the Miyazaki films which are still have that child element but they're so amazing that it's kind of hard not to like them um and uh, this movie is directed by Satoshi Khan, who is basically like really uh, one of those Japanese anime directors that are on that level of Miyazaki, 
Um, other than Perfect Blue, he directed Paprika, um, as well as uh, Tokyo Godfathers, which are all very popular. It's a very popular anime film. Things we're right super familiar with. <laughs> yeah, and, and his movies have been like replicated or influ very influential on a lot of American filmmakers as well. Um, sadly, he died in 2010, I think, of pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. Um, so he's no longer with us. Um, this movie was written by uh, Sadayuki Morai, and it's based on a book. He's uh, still here alive, though, right? It's a she. But yeah, oh, she, she? She's, she's still alive, yes. Okay, so I was looking at the director, not the writer. Yeah, Satoshi Khan is, is passed away. Um, and it's based off the book uh, Perfect Blue, Complete Metamorphosis by uh, Yoshikazu uh, Tekichi. Um, and yeah, it's a uh, psychological thriller. Um, it was I have a, to say, though, I don't know if we can do like a full like description recap yeah it's, it's very in-depth and it's very uh like we don't want to like straight up give you the ending especially if you're not an anime fan like us and you're just like well now i'm curious you know <laughs> uh the best thing i can do is this is uh like we mentioned earlier i think that this may be the first time it's been on general streaming um you can find it right now on shutter so if you have shutter or if you are listening to this episode as we're kind of talking about it, and you're like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to watch the movie. Then turn the episode off and get Shudder or get a free trial of Shudder and then watch it. Because I feel like we're going to have to talk about the ending of the film and where it goes. Yeah. Um, but um, if you haven't seen this film, it's a perfect time to see it because it is available. Um, and it's very, very good. It's a great film. There's a it reason is, why. Yeah, like, you do that. Like, it's the first time I've watched an anime and been like, oh my God, I really care about the characters. Like, they've really made everyone a notable piece. Yeah, I've, I've never seen Perfect Blue. I've heard a lot about it over the years. I've seen Tokyo Godfathers, but I've never seen Perfect Blue. I, I've heard enough about it being ripped off by Darren Aronofsky a lot, um, which we'll get to. Um, which is very clear that it's influenced by Perfect Blue, his films. People usually bring a Black Swan as a ripoff of Perfect Blue, which I actually don't fully agree with. I think it's very heavily influenced, though. As well as um, he does have a straight, and he's admitted this, that, that he has a straight up rip from this movie in Requiem for a Dream. There's a shot in Requiem of a Dream with uh, uh, Jeffrey Connelly in a bathtub. That's a direct shot from Perfect Blue. It's the exact, like if you put them side by side, they're timed exactly the same. And it's a complete reference, which is like, that was my like giving respect to uh, Khan. Um, but yeah, uh, if you guys are listening to this episode and then like halfway through, you're like, whoa, hold on, hold on. I don't want any more spoiled for me to turn us off. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd be shocked you made this far without turning us off. <laughs> yeah. But turn us off. <laughs> if you made it that far to go watch a movie and come back because, uh, we're going to come back. We'll talk about Brendan Fraser. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to. 
<laughs> we're going to have to get into some slightly spoilery territory, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is a great film, and it's easily accessible now. So even if you don't mind us spoiling it after we're done with the conversation, you should go watch it anyways, because it is a beautiful piece of art. Um, would you give it a five out of five? I would. Really? I on on um, Letterbox, I give it a four and a half out of five. I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know if it was because it was also three in the morning when I randomly just decided to watch it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mainly looked at the comments, and most of it was like, anime is trash. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> or I'm like, I really don't want to. I really don't want to watch this, but uh, it's three in the morning and I don't know what else to do. Then I put it on and I'm really fucking happy I did. So you've never seen it all, so. Um, yeah, so how should we get into this? Um, I think there's a bunch of, just kind of browsing through it, is that this movie was originally supposed, before um, Satoshi Khan joined, it was supposed to be a live action film. Hmm. And uh, it was supposed to not have the psychological element to it as much as it's supposed to be a woman being stalked by a serial killer story. Um, but I think Satoshi Khan is happy that he wasn't given that option because he's like, that have been too much, like, too similar to movies that are coming out around the time. Like, well, yeah, uh, and, that, and there are, like, seven. certain aspects of the movie, like her double floating around and stuff, that would have been really hard to replicate in that time. Yeah, it, w- it would have been, but uh, yeah, absolutely. And he was happy that just structurally that 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 did because he was like, well, there's a lot of like serial killer films that are coming out around that time, like Seven or Signs of the Lambs or you know something like that. So he's like, I wouldn't even thought of just doing it directly that way if it was given to me as an option. So um, I think that there's things that they get away with this movie. That works better as an animated film, like you just said, that that you probably couldn't replicate as well in a live action film. Yeah, which is hard for me to say, but it's true. Yeah, this film is really good, even though it's animated. Um, that it really makes you, as you're watching it, like really question like what you're seeing a lot. Oh yeah, it's definitely one of those ones where it's like. Wait, is this a dream sequence or is this a look? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll get to that in a bit. But do we want to start just from the beginning? Yeah. Um, I think I took point last time. You want to take point this time? I think uh, yeah. you saw it more recently than me. I can try. Um, so yeah, our it's main a hard character- one to recap, so don't judge. <laughs> our, our main character's name is Mima. Yeah, Mima is a member of a J-pop uh, group. Uh, basically, it's called Cham, almost like Chom. Wham, or Cam. Um, it's her and two other ladies. Um, there are basically a um, how do you have boy bands or a girl band. They are a trio, girl band, pop group. Um, and the movie opens with them performing. Uh, to a relatively big crowd. Um, but soon we find out that Mima isn't interested in doing Cham anymore. She wants to uh, pursue a career in acting. Um, but before that, they're performing the show. There's a whole bunch of people in the audience. 
Um, there's a bunch of assholes in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> there's just a group of assholes in the audience that are throwing stuff at the stage. And also in the crowd is one weird fellow. Yes. Not Very only... Odd. Yes, not only acting wise, but looking wise, how he's animated is very strange. He has almost like fish features. Yeah, I don't know how to describe I mean, it. Like that's his eyes are kind of he apart. Kind of looks like a catfish. Yeah, it kind of looks like catfish. Like he's a human. Like he he doesn't literally look like a fish, but like cat like catfish like features. He's deformed. Yes, he has kind of like a the swoopy hair down over his face, but his eyes are distinctly kind of um, far apart. Yeah, far apart, and he's got a strange nose, and his mouth doesn't quite close. Um, very distinct looking person, and um, they keep on drawing our attention to him as these assholes are kind of harassing Cham while they're on stage. He goes there, confronts them. They just beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> He beat the fuck out of them. And everybody's like, hey, fucking stop. And everybody just starts, like, throwing cans and shit at, at these assholes until they leave. They're like, hey, what, you don't like us being complete fucking dicks in this public yeah, forum? That's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why are you picking on us? And uh, they go and fuck off. Stop throwing like, J-pop cans at us. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> My Japanese soda. <laughs> yes. Um... So, uh, hold on, I gotta burst this bubble through the cork part and then <laughs> I slowly drink it out of the hole that's being blocked by a marble for some reason, and then I'll throw it at those guys. I want to take the marble under the straw and spit it at them like a spitball. <laughs> try, try Mima right between the fucking eyes. No, um, my bubble tea. <laughs> but during the show, Mima, uh, she announces that. Hey, this is my last performance of Cham. I'm going to be an actress. That uh, always works out really well for pop stars. It does. Um, Some of them. <laughs> so she is. Um, so she is joined by. She has a management team, and uh, one uh, is a man named Totokoro, and uh, one is a female named Rumi. And Rumi is a ex-pop idol um, who's now made a transition to management as she's gotten older. And they're trying to get her all these gigs because she wants to make this huge uh, change. Um, her mom, I think, her she's trying to keep her parents on loop, but they're are kind of worried about like her choice. I, everybody's worried about her choice too. Well, yeah, I mean. Vision. Minus the male manager she has. Yes, Tadakoro is um, very much about it. And that's the interesting thing we'll get into about this movie, about the male characters in it. Um, this is actually a reverse Hitchcockian film, um, which I'll, I'll elaborate on a little bit. Um, so her job to act is that she's going into a detective drama. Kind of like, I don't even know if it's like Law and Order as much as it's like something like Bones. CSI, I don't know. Yeah, CSI, where it's like a duo, and one is like a doctor, and one's a cop, it seems like. And they, they do like, yeah, there, it's criminal investigation that's more um, uh, a DNA and, and like, yeah, yeah, like crime scene investigation more of than just like the detective, like on the beat type of feels of uh, Law and Order. Mm -hmm. 
And she has like one line. <laughs> she has one line in the episode. Uh, and everybody's afraid that she's going to fuck it up. She's afraid she's going to fuck it up. Um, cause she's unsure and it kind of rolls from there. Uh, she has her one line. It goes decently, um, to where her agent Tarakoro is like, Hey, how would you give my girl some more lines? And everybody's like, no, she's not an actress. She's a pop star. And we're getting our ratings from her just being part of this pop group. And that's why people are going to watch it within this time. Um, Yumi introduces her to the this is a crazy thing but the internet yeah <laughs> mind you this came in 1997 so uh this is a new thing which i think is an interesting angle with this film because it really relies on the idea of yeah like it honestly like fits well with the current time because shit like this seems more probable now than it was then um I think it can go both ways. I think it's probable, yes, in one way, but it's also very much like fear of the internet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At that time, where it's like, oh, my God, what could they use this for? Because Mima comes across, um, there's a website that's saying that it's um, ran by her and some what, what now we call blog. Um, and it seems to be following her movements very, very, very closely. And her feelings very, very, very closely. Um, but she does not run the site. But it is posing as her. So she's like, what the fuck? And it's great because Yumi has to show her how to use the internet. <laughs> she's like, what do you do? Well, you have to open up your web browser. And What's you... a web browser? <laughs> Well, Web let's browser. get first, and we can look up this URL. A what? <laughs> a URL, you say? That is some pretty advanced yeah, technology. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the time, it makes sense, because 1997, you know, mid to late 90s, when the internet started becoming a thing. Uh, I think you cut out again. The internet was uh, becoming a thing in the 90s. The mid to late 90s. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. That okay. was 57, 57. Yeah, I'm writing it down. Okay, cool. Uh, where, where was the last time you heard me on there? Uh, you said mid to late 90s. Oh. So the mid to late 90s was like, you know, it makes sense for that because at 97, the internet was just becoming a thing, right? Right. So, uh, but definitely ages this movie a little bit. <laughs> definitely shows his age with those parts. Uh, so her ages are trying to get her bigger roles. Um, and it seems like the more work they're getting Mima, the sleazier the work is becoming. Yeah. Um, her character does get a bigger role in the next episode of the show that she's working on. But in this episode, she's a stripper that gets gang raped. And, you know, the male, the male, uh, yeah, what's his name? The male agent, I think, uh, Tadakoro. Tadakoro is like, 
you know, I, I mean, we can't really push it further. This might be the only thing we get, and you need more time for other people to want you. Right. Like, I don't know. And then Yuri, is it Yuri is her female? Uh, it is um, uh, Rumi. Yeah, Rumi. Rumi, Rumi, not Yuri. And Rumi is like, you know, hell no. Like, she could never even go back to being a pop star if she did this. You can't make her do this. And then Mimi just speaks up and is like, I'll do it. No, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll be fine with it. And even though she's like, yeah, totally fine. Right. Uh, she is mentally totally not fine with it, which is, uh, yeah, understandable. <laughs> well, that's kind of like the, uh, also the uh, name of the show is Double Bind. Double Bind is the name of the show that she's on. Um, that's kind of the interesting thing, though, about, the movie is that there's a lot of different elements, a lot of different ideas going around it. But I think that there's this very interesting um, study of, especially in the late nineties, whenever there was like the boy band and pop group, pop star boom around like things right. like pretty much J pop, but in America as well, with like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera. Yeah. It's this thing about like, Oh, you're seen as this kind of image, right? And usually, even though the image would be very young or adolescent, they would still try to sexualize it. Yeah. Like, uh, oops, I did it again, music video, right? From mm -hmm. Britney Spears. Like, look, they put her in, like, the, 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 the schoolgirl outfit, and, like, they're kind of sexualizing her, but I think she's, like, in her late teens at the time and stuff, and it's kind of gross you're looking back on it. And it's kind of like this exploitation that pop stars and young stars kind of go through, I think, as one of those commentaries this movie's doing, and especially as she's trying to transition to this other career, how they take this squeaky clean image, and the only way to kind of... Um, promote it is bisexualizing her like can you believe that she's doing this even though she comes from this look yeah. we just had her do this she got sexually assaulted in this scene of this hit tv show and it's hard to watch even though it's animated it's like a really hard scene to like look yeah, at and you even have like in between the shots like the male actor going down going i'm so sorry yeah, he apologized. Also, weird thing about that scene, the, the, the song that's playing in the background of the strip club scene, because in the scene, uh, it's a scene within a scene where she's on set and she's playing that character um, in the expanded role where her character is now the younger sister of, I think, a victim from the show. Mm -hmm. and a, now twin, she's a, a twin sister. Twin sister. And now she's a stripper at a local club and all these guys start raping her. Um, there's a music, there's, there's a song, there's a music, there's a song playing in the background or during that scene. And people try to find that song and nobody can find the song. Really? Yeah. People, because they've used a promotional material. People try to look it up, but nobody can find where it was released. I don't think it was even on like the soundtrack of the album. So people have been trying to figure out for years. And as of, as of 2020, at least, people still haven't figured out what that song is. That's crazy. Yeah. I love those little mysteries, though. Yeah, it's very weird. So, um, of course, a scene like that takes a huge toll on her. Um, at the same time, she also does a photo shoot. Right. 
Um, which, and here's where we're going to start getting to more psychological horror. Um, it's been kind of, there's been a few flashes here and there, but around this time is where I started going, wait, what's real and what's not? It's that she does a photo shoot, and in her mind, she thinks it was a nudie photo shoot. Photo shoot. Right. But we also see a photo shoot where it wasn't a nude photo shoot. Right? Yeah, it was kind of like this this uh, portrayal of her having like this guilt about the new thing she is doing and who she really believes she is, and and you know compromising her morals. Yeah, yeah, but we like literally see her like you see her genitals and you see her breasts exposed. But is there another thing where somebody else sees in a different way where she's actually clothed? Or she yeah. just has her bra and panties on. Yep. So you're already like right there is like I remember like the main time where my brain was like, wait, which one was it? Mm-hmm. Which I think is answered a little bit later. But um, yeah, she's clearly getting exploited by a system, and she's getting exploited by every male character that she comes across, um, in a gross or disgusting way. Um, she starts having more and more hallucinations to where she starts envisioning herself popping up in places dressed as her pop star persona. Yeah. From Cham. At the same time, she comes across her to, um, through the news or just in person, her, uh, ex-bandmates who are going on as a duo and, finding some pretty good success doing that yeah. while she's trying to chase this dream of becoming the solo artist, but she's losing herself while she's doing it. I mean, it's so well put together. Like it's so, I don't know how to put it. Like it, it's just like everything that needed to happen to explain yeah. her emotionally happened. Well, by the end, it starts making more and more sense. But in this meantime, as she starts hallucinating, it, the, like you said, like it, it doesn't lose you at all. Well, it does lose you a little bit, but it makes sure it kind of reel you in. It gives you a couple questions, but I think, unlike most psycho- psychological horror films... They have answers to those questions. Well, you know, I mean, some people like it, some people don't. We're at the end of most psychological thrillers or whatever. At the end, it's like, I'll leave it up to the audience. Like, Christopher Nolan does that shit. All the time and just like cop out i would rather just see what your vision like is at the end like what did what what do you want us to see sometimes sometimes i just like those answers and i've at least in my opinion i feel like the answers are there by the end of this film yeah i agree but um but during the journey of it i was questioning what i was seeing a lot um she hallucinates a lot like I said, she sees her persona a lot. Her pet At the fish same time, we're, we're... Huh? Her pet fish die, and then she comes back in the room, and the fish aren't dead. And... Yeah, where we're seeing the um, strange fellow from earlier, which we find out later on. His name is Mania Me. Mania Me, which I think is a screen name. Right, and he's like uh, a mega fan. Yeah. Um, we start learning, but we both see him kind of like stalking her. He's always like in the shots. And it's very interesting because you always kind of notice him um, where it draws enough focus without like 
here he is. He's eating a sandwich or something, but you kind of see him here and there and stuff. Just enough where we're like, hey, he's always kind of in the background. He's always around. Uh-huh. Always around. Um, but when the movie starts becoming very interesting, well, I mean, the whole movie is interesting, but when it starts taking kind of that turn is that um, the writer of the show gets murdered. Um, the one that writes the the writer that made but, uh, the rape scene. Yeah, that wrote in the rape scene that that did what Tokodoro asked and 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 gave her a bigger role, but made it completely exploiting her as as a woman. Um, he gets killed in a parking garage, and now this movie becomes an element, introduces an element that's very interesting that starts becoming kind of a slasher. That now there's a serial killer within the plot. And here's why people are like, oh, it's Darren Aronofsky. And people always like compare it to Darren Aronofsky. Oh, Black Swan has some similar template. Um, it's kind of similar. It takes Perfect Blue as a template, but kind of does its own thing. And there's some similarities. There's The characters in each are, are very similarly named, like uh, uh, Natalie Portman's character in that and, and, and Mima in this. I think her name is Nina. And Black Swan, I'm not sure. Um, they're both performers. They're both performers that are trying to progress their career. They're both kind of getting exploited. They both have psychological um, problems. That they both graduated from Harvard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And um, but I watching Perfect Blue, I wasn't reminded of Darren Aronofsky. I was reminded more of one of my favorite directors. And I think this movie reminded me more of Brian De Palma. Hmm. Yeah, it kind of does have a feel of that, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it has a very De Palma kind of like, because um, there's kind of like this sexual eroticism, uh, erotic thriller kind of feel to, to the movie. Um, and then once there's like this killer that's, killing people in the ways they are. They're very stylish murders, especially one of the murders in particular, which I'm sure we'll uh, talk about in a second, um, have a very stylish feel to them. There's a lot of sex and violence in it. There's kind of a um, twisty thriller feel, which Brian De Palma did a lot with Dress a Kill or Body Double or uh, Blowout. Um it definitely has this kind of erotic thriller feel to it that I couldn't quite let go of once I noticed it. So for me, just connecting in that way, it feels very much like a De Palma film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, you, it seems that now somebody's going around killing somebody. And is it Mima or is it somebody else? Um, there's a murder in the film, which we'll talk about now where somebody gets killed very violently for pizza delivery with a pizza delivery. Yes. Uh, someone comes up there. Uh, it's a pizza delivery driver knocks on the door guy opens up and he gets killed with an ice pick first getting stabbed through the fucking eye and then getting like stabbed to death. And it's very graphic and it's very interesting. Just like how the murder scenes are shot are very reminiscent of uh, Argento or De Palma. They're very, like, stylish. They're very cool. Right. Like, uh, 
Um, but it, it's one of those murder scenes that lasts for a while and it's very brutal. And I really like how that whole thing, like how, how it's structured, how it's set up, how it's shot, how it's animated. Right. Very interesting. And the uh, as the stabbing is going on, the pizza delivery driver outfit kind of comes up and reveals Mimi. Yeah, yeah, it's this Mima. So now we're like, oh my god, she is the killer. Yeah, and then she wakes up. <laughs> yeah. So did the murder happen? And the murder was now we're gonna start getting more spoilery territory. So if you do want to watch this movie, go watch it. If you don't mind just listening to it as we talk about it, then you keep on listening. But spoiler, heavier spoilers from here on out. Yeah. Um it's unfilled that that man that was killed is uh the photographer it was the photographer that took all those sleazy nudie photos of her yep uh, so you have the screenwriter that wrote her in as a uh, awful sexual assault scene you have a man that shot her in a very um lowbrow uh nude photo shoot yeah. Um, and they show him doing the photo shoot where he's very he's a very sleazy photographer as well. It's not like a tasteful. This is like a tasteful like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm I'm ex ex accentuating the, the female body. Yes, I'm accentuating the female body. And she's like, oh, I feel very empowered by this as much as it's like, look at this. This was this is a pop star. This is a young star. And like, he's like, I can't it. wait to jack off to this lady. <laughs> Exactly. It's like, oh, she's getting she's getting naked. Can you believe she's doing this, right? Um so very interesting uh where where the movie's kind of going. And we're seeing this guy in the background, Mamie and me more and more. And she's getting crazy, she's kind of going more and more out of her mind because somebody's sending her messages as well. Another part of the thriller De Palma slash Hitchcock. Because De Palma stole a lot from Hitchcock, or, or was very influenced by Hitchcock at least, um, to where she's getting um, faxes. <laughs> she's getting faxes of uh, secret messages, being like "you're a traitor" and everything. So she thinks somebody's after her, but maybe she's just maybe she's doing everything right. <clears throat> right, and uh, right after the scene where they find out the photographer's been murdered, um, she goes on to her little website to see what's going on and it was just uh, a thing of her saying like oh I love going to this like vintage market and I get to go to this shop and bought clothes she's like I didn't do that shit I didn't do any of that shit and then she opens up her closet and there's the bag from that store that she was just talking about and now it's filled with bloody clothes yeah, yeah. Which is a cool shot also, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I don't know. It, it kind of just kind of evolves from there more and more to where it really makes you go like it I, I think it's interesting because at, at one point I always hate I've talked about this on the show before. There there's some twists I hate. And this is probably like whenever it's still okay to get with it. Like you could still get away with it in ninety-seven. Um, but like the twist of like, it's all in your head, right? Yeah. Which always feels like lazy writing unless you handle it very, very well. So at this point, I'm thinking like, 
it's all in her head. She's actually killing people. Like, uh, if this is going to end, we're just like, I was doing it the whole time. I yeah. was going to be slightly pissed off, right? And it does such a good job of make like it keeps you. I don't even know how to describe it. Like the movie is able to like make you question a lot, but still keeping you so enthralled with it that you're trying not to figure it out. Right. right? Um, she gets attacked uh, by Mania Me. Eventually. Uh, yeah, after the wrap-up party. Yes. Um, yeah, they have a wrap-up party, which she... Fuck, what happens to the wrap-up party? So I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sure, I'm sure I just skipped a couple parts. Um, they had the wrap-up party. But was there something else before that, though? Her manager was killed. No, I thought he gets killed after that. He gets killed after the main... Well, what? Fuck, we're past spoilers. (laughs) He gets killed after the wrap-up party because uh, he leaves and you find out that he gets killed. You you don't even see him get killed. You just see his dead body afterwards. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Um, They have the wrap-up party... What happens to the wrap-up party? Oh, so she just she just goes to get changed. Yeah, well, they go, before that, there's a really interesting part where um, she gets. Um, you think that she's going into an interview room at the police station, and then she's getting interrogated. But it's actually part of the show. It's really interesting. Everything, like how the show starts bleeding in with her reality. Right. And it's really interesting how they keep on shifting that perspective as it kind of goes along, right? Where they go, oh, yeah, she's going and she's getting interviewed. Oh, wait, it's actually just part of the show. Right. But in her mind, it was at first that she was actually getting interviewed. And it keeps the audience always guessing. It goes back to what we were just saying, where it's just like, you're always like, wait, okay, are we in reality? Are we not? And I think it's always such... I think it's a cool uh, uh, parallel to have it that she's shooting a show that's about murders and getting interviewed and that, you know, being a victim. So you never know if we're in the show or if we're in, like, her reality. Or a dream sequence. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's always her waking up in her room. And she lives in this, like, little apartment. She lives like a studio apartment in Japan, like... And she just wakes up there and she'll like wreck her room. And like the next day she'll wake up and it's all put together. And she's like under the covers. Yep. Or, or the, the fish are alive. Yeah. Or she'll rip off the champ poster and then she'll wake up and the champ posters back. Like, yeah. Yeah. But uh, pretty consistently through the movie though, you see the pop star alternate version of her keep showing up. And you just kind of assume it's her conscience through most of the movie, just telling her, like, you know, you're dirty. You're like, you're, uh, you know, you shouldn't have done this. Like, I'm yeah. still the pure version of you, and now you've ruined who you are. And it's like, wow, like, fuck, that's an annoying thing to have around you. Because <laughs> <laughs> it always feels like it's around mocking her. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting twist, that you never feel like, oh, so maybe she's doing these murders and it's that ghost of like what she feels that her image should be is what's driving her to kill. Right. 
excuse me. Um, yeah. Uh, and so you don't know if it's in her head. Is this a ghost? Is this something that's driving her? We finally kind of get a slight answer where we see who is running the website. This pertain to be here. Surprise, it's Mania Me. Um, but it seems like she's egging him on. Right. He's in the room with him, talking to him. He clearly sees her. So is she I there? How she's, you know, she's not the real her and she's trying to ruin her name and Yeah, yeah, that 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 Mima that the Mima that's doing all this very exploitive things is this Mima that's just impersonating her. And that Mima is actually still this pop star that needs Mania Me to help her. And so he feels like he's trying to free her from this. Um, enough to where at the after party or after the after party uh, wrap up show um, that she gets attacked by Mania Me. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that her manager gets killed, who keeps on trying to exploit her as well um, by getting her more and more adult adult roles. Right. Um, quote, unquote. Well, you know, his her uh, roomie is very not supportive of the idea and very much trying to defend her. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Rumi, Rumi has very extreme emotional reactions to how she's been treated. She's not happy about it, especially coming from being a pop star. And clearly it seems like her career took um, a turn to be like, oh man, she's great. It's, it's, um, here, here's the parallel I can make. Here's the comparison I'll make. Stick with me. Disney parks. Okay. Okay. At the, at the Disney parks, you have to go like a, through a whole lot of different things about like height, build, how you look, all this stuff to see what character you'll play as a walk around character at Disney Park, right? So let's say you're Cinderella at the park. You had to match these height requirements, this look, um, how there, there's a whole book on how to act. Um, there's like little like manuals and stuff. I've, I've watched videos about it where there's like, like you can only do this, you can't say this, you can't say that, whatever. But whenever those ladies age out of that role, Disney kind of gives them the option of either retiring or like, oh, well, you can train other people to do it, and then you'll play like the fairy godmother. Okay, and that's your role now, and that's kind of the thing with. Uh, Rumi and Mima is that Rumi has definitely become that fairy godmother part where she's aged out of it. She can't grasp that anymore. And she's mm. trying to kind of guide Mima and try to live um, vicariously through her. Right? What's that? Yeah, I was agreeing. Vicariously. Yeah, vicariously. Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, uh, so she's very emotionally attached to all these decisions that Mima's making. Um, and she seems very sweet through the movie. Like, 
She does. And then and she's helping her a lot. She's always the one that's there for Mima. She's always the one that's helping her. She's always the one that's supporting her, comforting her. Um, in her apartment. Yeah. She seems way more inclined to help her than Takadoro, who clearly is just about selling her image and making the money off of it and, and you know, finding whatever is going to launch her career so it makes them more money as managers so they can take their percentage. Um, so many of me attacks, uh, Mima, Mima, um, he, he tries to sexually assault her. Yep. Um, but she kills him by, she finds a, she, they're in like a production set and there was a hammer on the floor. Yeah. She brains him with it. Yeah. She grabs, she ends up reaching the hammer before he's able to do the horrible deed and stabs him in the head with the yeah. back into the hammer. So you're like, oh, almost be done. Me has clearly been the killer. He's been killing all these people. He killed everybody that's been exploiting me during this whole time, whatever. But she's still hallucinating. She goes back to her apartment. She's attacked by herself. Yep. But then there's the unveil that it's not her. Nope. It's Rumi. <laughs> and she, like, it's, I really loved how they did it, too. Like, and you just saw her, and then she walked by the mirror, and, like, Mimi was, like, totally, like, convinced that this was, like, her alter ego conscience, like, haunting her. Mm -hmm. But when she walks by the mirror, it's Rumi in, like, a, an outfit that doesn't really fit, and, like... Yeah, she, she, she's old, she's well, she's not old, but she's older. She's probably, you know, 50. in her early 40s. Yeah, maybe early 50s. She's out of shape. <laughs> uh, Mima's, Mima's uh, outfits are clearly not fitting her very well, but she still has them on. And this is where it feel, takes like that extra De Palma kind of turn, where it feels like this like really weird, like, you know... Uh, sleazy-ish kind of twists where it's like, oh my god, it's like she's this kind of like um... She wants to be Mimi. <laughs> yeah, she wants to be Mima. Um, is it Mimi or Mima? Mima. Mima, oh. Yeah, because uh, Mima is short for, I, I can't remember her whole name, but it's, uh, it's Mima. Um, to where it leads to a very interesting, so, so early there was a very interesting chase sequence. Uh, whether she's chasing her around and it happens again where she's chasing quote unquote ghost Mima around. Right. But it's actually just Rumi fucking, you know, chasing her, trying to kill her. But every time it runs by like reflections and stuff like that, it turns, you know, you see Mima as her K-pop version or J-pop um, self but then you'll see certain ways of whenever you see away from the reflections that it's just Rumi as regular her and stuff like that. And I just love how it's animated. Oh, it yeah. Kind of switching between those. Like um, when you see the, the alter ego, like ghost Mima thing run around, she kind of just floats everywhere. Yeah, she floats. So yeah. When you see it like floating through, you see the reflection and it's like Rumi like balls out, like sprinting after yeah, she's trying to slice her up with a knife. Yeah. 
and it's super wild and it's cool and um it leads to a final confrontation where Mima's basically given the choice of letting Rumi die. And um which she easily could, um, because That's she gets stabbed up. Yeah, yeah. Mima gets stabbed up, but she also she 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 pretty pretty badly wounds you and me and she walks into the middle of the road. She almost gets hit by a car, to which Mima saves her life. Um, to which the wrap up of the movie is that Rumi goes to a mental institution. Yeah, years later, and everyone knows who she is. They're like, there's no way that's the Mima. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. And Mima goes there and you know, just to check up on her and stuff, and as she's leaving, um, it takes one of the one of the ways she can take the title perfect blue that she walks out under a perfect blue sky and she's like you know what i know who i am i know it was on my head or whatever and she kind of looks at the camera winks and she drives off and she can go like oh yeah it was all none of us real but you could also look deeper and be like oh maybe it was all in her head and maybe she is crazy or whatever i like to think that's a pretty pretty tightly wrapped up ending yeah it really is like i was like it wasn't one of those movies that ended and I was like, fuck, I really wanted more answers or I really want, I was like, nope, you wrapped it up. I, you answered everything yeah. I wanted to hear and you did it beautifully. Like, Yeah, yeah. I think it's so tightly written up at that end that we're just like, oh yeah, okay. That's not all the answer I needed. I see, I see kind of what he was going with or, or whatever. Um, why I called this reverse Hitchcockian earlier is because usually Hitchcock it has a lot of Hitchcockian influence, it feels like, which is, I think, in turn, why it has, feels like it has a lot of De Palma influences. But Hitchcock and De Palma as well were always called misogynistic filmmakers. Um, they were often criticized about their violence towards women um, and kind of the reliance on male heroes. Yeah. Um, would, which this movie feels like it kind of turns on its head um, where it feels like, oh, this is a woman that's killing people that are exploiting a female or explo exploiting how uh, a woman's image should be. Right. Um, and men are becoming the victims of it, which is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just like whether you like anime or not, this is just a, a really well done and put well put together film. Like, it's also super tight. Yeah, what is it's it? Like, like an hour thirty, maybe? It's I think it's eighty eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. it's either an hour hour and a half. I mean, it it doesn't overstay its welcome. It tells a very tight, interesting, um, beautiful, visually beautiful story, very quickly. Um, it is a tight watch. It doesn't need to overstay its welcome. It doesn't really feel like too much fat is on it, except for kind of the beginning. I feel like it takes a little bit before it kind of starts getting going. That's kind of my only criticism about it. Um, but I mean, the movie is so well put together and so tight. And I mean, this was his directorial debut. This was Satoshi Khan's directorial debut. Really? Like, yeah. Um, Man, what a way to start. Of uh, feature length, at least, you know, and like I mentioned earlier, Tokyo Godfather's Paprika, he went on to make a lot of very influential anime films. Um, but if you haven't seen 
perfect blue. For some reason, you listen to us ruin it all for you and didn't stop to watch it. Um, now go and watch it. and um, take you still, You'll still be happy, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it is. Like, yeah, it's a great film. And, you know, for some people that are like, oh, well, I've seen Black Swan, but like, I don't think Black Swan has the element of like, there's a killer going around like killing people and doesn't have that twist at the end either. People like, Black Swan's a rip, complete ripoff of, of, of Perfect Blue, but it doesn't have that like Hitchcocky and De Palma kind of twist of it being like a killer's going around and the twist is like, it's somebody posing as them murdering people. Which can also be seen as something like as Argento or something like that. Like, I mean, it does. It, I don't feel like Black Swan has that. I, I think actually think Black Swan is a great fucking film, and I can see where it's influenced by Perfect Blue, but I don't think it's as close to Perfect Blue as when people are like, oh, it's a complete ripoff of Perfect Blue. <laughs> I just, I can see where it's influenced. I just don't think it's a ripoff of it. Right. Yeah. Anything to add? No, it's just go watch it. Check it yeah. out. Would you would you say check it out? I just did. <laughs> say it again. Check it out. <laughs> no, I like the first one better. Anyways, uh, check it out. <laughs> um, uh, I guess that brings us to our next segment, uh, which is another curation of Blaze's Cabinet Video Game Curiosities. All right. So, what video game are we talking about today? Or what series of games? Well, uh, this is the first part of the series, and I'm actually going to get the rest because it's actually pretty fun and interesting little, like, bite-sized story games. Uh, It is a series of games made by one guy and published and released by him. Uh, I I think it's him. I don't want to say them. They have released, their name is Octavi Navarro. Okay. And uh, it is a series called uh, Midnight Scenes. And it is the first one that we're talking about today is called Midnight Scenes The Highway. And it has a, it's black and white and it's kind of like 1950s, but it's like 16 bit. What was that? Uh, my my foot hit the uh, bottom of the coffee table, lifted up the uh, board at the bottom, and dropped back down. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, so it has a very like Twilight Zone esque like intro scene, and it's like you know Claire Barnes is this woman who is driving down the road at night, and she doesn't expect blank to happen, and then the game starts and it goes these are midnight scenes and uh so it's really cool how it kind of has like that really big nod to twilight zone kind of stuff I was gonna say, that sounds very twilight zone <laughs> that's exactly what it yeah i mean it, it like you can tell by like the the title card and everything it's based off twilight zone so you um it's kind of like a point and click puzzle kind of thing uh, so you are stopped in the road and you see this giant like uh, electrical uh, shit. What are the names of those? The, uh, the what are they called? The things that hold up electrical wires and 
through what, town. Like poles? Yeah. So there's like yeah. an electrical pole laying in the ground mm-hmm. and you're trying to get to an emergency phone, but it's behind the wreckage. And obviously you can't because the, uh, oh, what? Paige just corrected us. It's a power line. <laughs> oh, the power lines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's like, it's a power line, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. I love a goofy movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great song, really. But, uh, <laughs> Um, so uh, you go you start noticing these uh, what you assume are like missing pictures of a child and as you go on the more decrepit looking they get like one is just a smiley little boy and then you go on and it's torn up and then you go on and there's one where he has like no eyes and uh, eventually you're like well fuck you know I can't get past here so I gotta go find something so you find a uh, fence door eventually, and you unlock it and you go inside, and you f- get your first puzzle, which is like this scarecrow sitting outside, and you notice it's missing an arm, and you find some broken wood, and next to the st- scarecrow you find like this weird manual of like the ways the arms are supposed to go so you find this truck that has a rope you tie the wood onto the scarecrow and you're able to position it in a way to let you through to get into this person's yard so you get into the yard you go into the house and you notice there are blood tracks going up to the house and you're looking around the house trying to find a phone looking at the pictures of what appears to be a happy family and the boy that you saw in the pictures and um, you go into a bathroom, the light's broken, you go outside and you see a lantern sitting on top of a, a, um, a tree house and you end up finding the stuff to rebuild the ladder so you can get up there, grab the lantern and when you go into the bathroom you find the father uh, murdered in the bathroom from the pictures and uh, around him you find, what's that? Scarecrow did it. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> um, then you find a... Uh, fuck, now I lost my place. <laughs> oh, yeah, you find a key around the father's neck, and the key uh, opens this part of his truck that has a thing of wire cutters in it. So now you have the wire cutters to cut through the uh, power lines to get through. And as you go through, you notice this wreckage of, like, government vehicles and, like, scientists' bodies just scattered on the floor. And when you look at what they're carrying, it's, like, these little pictures of the boy. And what you assume is that there's something up with this kid. And as you're walking away and trying to use the payphone to uh, get an emergency vehicle out there, um, you uh, try and use the phone, it's not working, and as soon as you hang it up, you see this ghostly image of the boy in, like, a hospital gown, and he drops something on the floor and disappears, and it was some kind of medical file about the boy, and it doesn't really go into detail, it kind of leaves, like, a lot of open-ended questions, but I think each game is like an open-ended kind of story thing. Um, and uh, 
at the end, your character finally gets to a phone and calls in, and they're like, you know, there's like a fucking massacre at this whole place. You really need to check this out. Like, please get the police over here and help me. And when they call her back, they're like, yeah, there's nothing there. Like, there's no house. There's no trucks. There's no bodies. We have no idea what you're talking about. And then that's the game. Huh. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of, um, it's kind of like what Telltale does, right? Right. Kind of, but it's like, if it was in the, like, um, if it was in the graphics of, like, Double Dragon. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was envisioning something way better looking. <laughs> no, I mean it looks good. Like you t- can tell what everything is, but it is definitely like it's like a 16-bit game. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not like super detailed. Like, oh my god, this is amazing. No, it's like, hello, I am Claire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so used to us talking about like, oh, this game came out for for Steam and it it's uh it's made by four people, but it looks like fucking you know uh, uh, Alien nope, Isolation or some shit. Like it's made by one guy, and it does not look like Alien Isolation. <laughs> but uh, oh. I don't know. I enjoy it, and he's got a couple. Uh, uh, sequel games to it, and I don't know if they intertwine or if they're like separate stories, but they've all had really good ratings. Like, people enjoy playing them because it's like something you can pick up and beat within like an hour. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, cool. and they're, you know, they're not expensive at all. They're like $2. Like, yeah, you know, it's worth it. Yeah. Especially, uh, and they say the uh, Nanny, I think, is the next one we're going to play. And uh, that one is supposed to be a little bit longer. But I don't know. Midnight Scenes. I would say check it out. They did a good job on it. How many How many pages would you give it? Did you have to call her or she had to be in the room while you played it? No. No. no so it's, 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 it's interesting. It's not scary. Okay. So it's, it's a fun little spooky uh, Twilight Zone-esque 16-bit game that you pay – a dollar per eight pixels for. Yep, that's correct. This <laughs> um, review is sixteen bits. Um, dollar per eight bits, uh, but get zero pages on the spooky scale. Yeah, on the uh, I need to call page to play this scale. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't get on there. <laughs> okay. All right. But I recommend fun. playing it if you have like a free hour or something like that, and you're like, man, I'm fucking bored. Go get it. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, people have choices in life. You'd be like, hey, I mean, can do something productive, play this game, a couple bucks, or I can go off and, like, jerk off again. I don't know. Like, yeah, do something productive. Well, I'm going to jerk off again, but then maybe I'll play the game. <laughs> maybe I'll play it. <laughs> but, yeah, it's fun stuff. All right, cool. That's awesome. All right, that brings us to our next segment. Another entry into mythology, biology. All right. What uh, page of the textbook are we turning to today? 
Today we're going to ancient Rome. And we're going to be talking about Oniroi. All right, do as the Romans do. Uh, kill Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it was a joint effort. <laughs> well, I take that back. I believe Jesus was actually killed by a military man from the future. <laughs> who lost out before he before he got crucified. You know, it's like it's it's like it's like where you read like comic book issues back in like the '90s or before, when it's just like you had that little box in the corner with the asterisk. It's like, look at last issue. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Refer to last episode for our uh, Jesus getting shot in the mouth jokes. Yeah. So uh, the Oniroi uh, are uh, pictured as like dark winged spirits that seem like these like giant carnivorous bats and they would fly out of caverns uh, from their home in Erebus the land of eternal darkness beyond the sun and um, they would pass between one of the gates of Pilal uh, or Pilai some Roman I don't know <laughs> the land of spaghetti uh, <laughs> 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 Refer to uh, three episodes before. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and what they were is that uh, they were the personification of nightmares and dreams. So, as these would fly off, they would fly into people's dreams and give them either a nightmare or a good dream. And they were believed to be sent out by Morpheus, who is the god of dreams. And if you've read Sandman, there you go. <laughs> Or so, watch a new Netflix show, which is which we actually haven't talked about this show, but uh, yeah. next episode, uh, very good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, but yeah, so they believed uh, it was parts of the god in guise of uh, men delivering messages. Um, so, like I said, they're the personification of dream and in the plural of dreams. And according to Homer, dreams dwell on the dark shores of the Western Oceanus, and the deceitful dreams come from the Ivory Gate. So those are the two different gates they came from. So the Ivory Gate would be made of horn and everything like that, and that's where the nightmare Oniroi would come from. And then the Oceanic Gate would be the like mystical fantasy dreams or anything like that. Um, so... Uh, Hesiod, um, and this is funny because this actually leads into, since they were like kind of these bat-like creatures, this leads into um, uh, a little fun fact about Dracula, actually. And um, so Hesiod calls the dreams the children for the children of the night, <laughs> which is okay. what inspired the yeah. line for, yeah. Well, music so, and uh, Yeah. So they've gone by different names like Children of Sleep, um, uh, Sons of Morpheus, uh, Ichlius, or Phobator, or Phantasis. Um, so yeah, they, they were mainly just like how the Romans had personified the idea of nightmares and good dreams and how they're like two of this, they're like the same creature but they have very they come from different places and it's just kind of like this philosophical kind of 
reasoning for why the dreams were like that. And I thought that kind of tied in nicely with the uh, dream, the crazy dreams of a uh, perfect blue. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's what's reality and what's dream? Um, no, I think I think that connects very well into it. Um, it's a fun story. And it's also yeah. uh, give us a reason to talk a little bit about Sandman as well. So, <laughs> yeah, and I think we should definitely delve into Sandman in the beginning of next episode. Yeah, yeah, uh, we haven't really taken time to talk about it yet, so for sure. Um, but yeah, that's a very good uh, folklore tale. So um, I guess that's all for this episode. Yeah, that's it. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you guys would like to reach us with comments, questions, concerns. Requests. Yeah. Requests, yeah, wants to talk about something. One of these days, oh. uh, and just in case the people who have sent us messages about independent films and stuff they're doing, like we will get around to it. We promise. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that we want to uh, actually start doing more. We haven't had a chance to talk about it, but I think the best thing to do um, is that we would like to get more people on here to talk about independent projects um not only like if you're making a movie but also if you like create art or if you have like a clothing label you're trying to like get up and running or if you're like creating something or doing something like i mean it's got want, spooky clothes though well yeah i mean yeah it's horror adjacent you know um like we want to like you know show and not only like talk about like your brand but let's just talk about like horror and like where your influences came from what got you into it like let's have the audience learn about you as a person give us free clothes <laughs> <laughs> but we want to definitely you know i mean promote each other i mean that's the best way to do it um so if you have something you want to promote as well you can reach us at uh bladeapplespod at gmail.com or you can we promise us. we won't ignore you much longer <laughs> <laughs> or you can reach us on the instagram uh Boyd Apples podcast. Um, next week will be. Um, I have a movie I want to do um, that I think is perfect for the season, but we'll see if it turns out to be that. Um, it would be a movie that was on my uh, Halloween marathon list from that episode back last October. Okay. Because I think we should start talking about a couple spooky movies or uh, seasonal films at the time. So maybe have a couple episodes of that. Um, but we'll talk about it. In the meantime, thanks to Stefan Mize for doing our artwork. Uh, follow him on Instagram under Stefan Mize, M-E-I-S-S-E. Or a Crawling Panther um, on Instagram as well. Awesome guy. Awesome tattoo artist. Big horror fan. Get something done by him. He's awesome. Thanks to Blaze for being an amazing co-host and uh, putting, you know, the editing together and uh, the music is done by him and just being an amazing co-host. Um, Yeah. And what else? What am I missing, Blaze? I think that's it. All right. 
All right, Blizz, anything else to add? See you later, my good friends, fuckers. <laughs> I remember, every day is Halloween, so please act accordingly, motherfuckers. See you later. Bye.